Hi there guys and welcome to today's live stream. We're going to be talking all about the relationship between the lumbar spine and the sacroiliac joint and particularly when you've injured your sacroiliac joint. It's an area that boasts a lot of confusion or gives people a lot of confusion so hopefully in this live stream you guys are going to understand a little bit better how the two relate and more importantly towards the end of the live stream how we can deal with these problems for the long term with a few principles. So hopefully you guys are going to find this interesting. As always if you're new to the channel please do consider subscribing. We do these live streams every single weekday Day. and today we're doing a little bit later in the day hopefully you guys find it helpful and with that being said let's get into today's live stream Okay guys, so we've got a bit of roadmap on the whiteboard behind me today. I'm gonna to cover that. The sacroiliac joint is something that, for, for me as a practitioner in the clinic, it's something that kind of is quite often misunderstood for, by a lot of patients. They don't quite get it. Um, it's something that often they've had previous practitioners then they've been through a lumbar diagnosis, a hip diagnosis, and, and then it's shifted over to the sacroiliac joint almost as like a last resort. Um, and we wanna really help you guys understand just how it works, and that will hopefully through the course of today's video start to reveal sort of our approach to it um, and, and, and our more importantly our approach to actually getting these things resolved because ultimately that's what we want to do. We want to fix the pain that's there so you're feeling better. So the first and foremost we're going to kind of cover a few more principles to begin with. So the first thing I want to get you guys to really understand is that the sacroiliac joint is not under your control. Unlike many other joints, your ankle, your elbow, your wrist, you don't control the movement at your sacroiliac joint directly. If I said to you, can you please, uh, you know, counter-rotate or mutate the sacrum in order to rotate your sacroiliac joint, you'd kind of probably, if we were sat face-to-face, -face, give me a rather confused look, as would many practitioners, because even as a practitioner who consciously understands what is being asked of them, there's no way of them realistically to do this. So that's really, really important. Um, so that's the very first one. How can you rehabilitate a joint if you have no way of influencing that joint directly and that we'll start to unpack that a little bit later on in today's uh, today's stream the second one is so what is the function of the sacroiliac joint well it's kind of a, a a mobile and a stable way of transmitting forces from those very very mobile hip joints down here where there's a lot of movement maybe not quite that much movement but a good amount of movement into the relatively immobile lumbar spine and the sacroiliac joint when we're loading when we're trying to lift something or exert force it can provide stability immobility to really support that structure or where necessary it's going to provide a little bit of extra dampening a little bit of extra mobility so that forces can transmit from the spine into the lower extremity the hips the legs uh, a little bit more effectively so it's got a small amount of mobility um, and it also plays a role of having more stability and we'll get into things a little bit later in the stream where we're talking about how it can be injured in those two ways uh, which is which is rather interesting which one's more prominent as well. Now the next thing is as I've mentioned I'm going to start unpacking this a little bit because you cannot do anything to your sacroiliac joint from a point of view of rehab. Now the lumbar spine is somewhere in between the sacroiliac joint which you have more or less no control over and let's say the finger joint. I can move my this finger joint here without the others moving and I can bend that finger joint there, you'll notice I can't move that one independently of that one. It's more difficult. If we take other joints, the elbow, I can move the elbow without moving my wrist or my shoulder. Now, if we move over to the spine, the lumbar spine, again, another question which will confuse even if you're a practitioner watching this, as I know we do get some guys watching, um, 
to move your lumbar spine. If you've injured your L4, L4, 5, so the L5 here, L4, if you've injured that joint, you can't flex it or extend it without affecting the rest of these. So this is starting to, to, to be a little bit less mobile than say that hip example or the finger example I mentioned. You don't have direct control over these. So our approach to the rehabilitation needs to be a bit different, but you can flex those joints. If you move forwards, you can move, you can move the lumbar spine into flexion. And if you move backwards, you can move the lumbar spine into a degree of extension. So that's possible. But in order to move these sacroiliac joints, it really is rather difficult, which gets me into my next point, which we kind of unpacked a little bit at the start, which was the diagnosis of sacroiliac joints. All too often we get people that have been to see previous practitioners or they call us up and say, well, I, I know you, you've got the treatment for the, the, um, the lumbar decompression or those sort of things, but my problem is a sacroiliac joint problem because it was diagnosed. My practitioner said, whether it's a GP, uh, doctor, osteopath, chiro or physio, they said that my sacroiliac joint is jammed up or mobile on the left-hand side, for example. If you look at the research, even when done with, with experienced practitioners, the ability for a practitioner to accurately detect the movement in here alone, let alone a comparative, analog a comparative analogy or comparison between these two is so poor when compared to, to proper imaging testing where they literally implant little electrodes or little pieces of metal here and little pieces of metal here and then move under what's called video fluoroscopy where they do a video x-ray and measure the movement that way. We as practitioners are extremely inaccurate in detecting in any, in any meaningful way, mobility, immobility, or any sort of movement for that matter of the sacroiliac joint when we're doing examinations. And this is really drawn out in the literature and it raises questions that says, look, is, is it really accurate to be making these sorts of diagnoses if we can't effectively examine the joint? Half of it is criticism over whether you're just feeling the skin moving over the bones rather than the bones themselves moving. So this is a very important point. Now there are some exceptions here. Ladies, if you're pregnant, you are gonna have a little bit more noticeable movement, but for the average male in particular, this is an, an, an lady that's, and a lady that's not pregnant, this joint is very, very difficult to detect any movement and in any meaningful way as well. So it's important to bear in mind just how little we can really understand the sacroiliac joint as a joint and as a practitioner and how little you can influence it as a patient. But the good news is there are ways that we can influence that region of the spine. And the way I'd like you guys to start thinking about the sacroiliac joint, if you've been diagnosed with this in the past, think of it more as a lower back problem, which encompasses elements of the sacroiliac joint. Because if, for example, we've got a lower lumbar disc injury, they're commonly associated with a flat lordosis. The curve through here is too flat. Many of you who will have been working from home in, in recent weeks will uh, be sat in chairs that aren't as good for you. Maybe you're working on the couch, uh, etc., and your lordosis is very flat. Well, this puts pressure on the discs and can lead those discs to become problematic. But what it also does is when we, what's called counter-nutate here, and when we tuck the bum under, as many people are instructed to do on things like Pilates exercises, when you're lying on your back and you flatten that spine to the floor, this actually destabilizes the sacroiliac joint. We mentioned earlier, it's got mobility and it's got stability. Well, in order to increase the mobility of the sacroiliac joint, we tuck the bum under essentially. And in order to prime it or engage it so it doesn't move very much, we stick it into what's called an anterior pelvic tilt essentially. And that locks this joint down so it's very, very stable. But if we've got a lumbar, a lumbar disc injury and our spine is tucked under like so, we're also going to create a degree of instability in the sacroiliac joints. So that may 
you may also get a strain in the sacral duct alongside that lumbar disc problem. But you, you, you have to treat the whole area. We cannot injure these individual structures on their own without, without other structures being affected. So if you've got a flat lordosis in the lumbar spine, you've got a herniated L5-S1 disc, it's very likely that your sacroiliac joints will be a little bit more mobile than they otherwise should be. Which means if you were, for example, to be at home, maybe you're moving some furniture, moving a table, and you've already got your bum tucked under like this because we've got a disc injury, and then you go down to pick something up with really bad technique, my sacroiliacs are incredibly vulnerable. My disc is incredibly vulnerable here. And I bend a little bit to the one side and now I strain the sacroiliac and re-injure that disc a little bit more because I've not got a nice lordosis where I'm sticking my bum out and I'm engaged through here. As I stick my bum out, I prime and engage the sacroiliac joints. I restore a nice lordosis through the lumbar spine and now I'm ready to weight bear. I can then lift something effective because we've put tension through the system and it's ready to bear weight. And this really shows you guys just how the sacroiliac joint itself relates to the lumbar spine function. And the point, the overarching point of this is that the two areas are so closely related and you have to consider them in their entirety rather than just getting hung up on a specific name or specific diagnosis that doesn't really um, provide you with any meaningful way to influence your recovery or, or, or deal with your rehabilitation at home. So that also is very, very important. Now, I've kind of covered how it goes from an unstable point of view. It can go in two ways. You can injure the sacroiliac or the lower lumbar region, as we should maybe more accurately talk about it, where it's unstable. As I mentioned, that bum being tucked under, reducing the natural lordosis in your spine so that our discs are you know, in a lot of trouble. There's mechanical disadvantage through these muscles here. And then the sacroiliacs are a little bit more wobbly as we start to load. And that's instability in this region. If it's coupled with other, other injuries such as stenosis or spondylolisthesis, then we really do have a lovely melting pot for things to go wrong. And we need to work hard to address those issues. So that's the first one, which we've already covered. The other, which is, I would argue, a little less common, is the grinding, the fixed sacroiliac that bears no ability to transmit load. And that is something that's going to come alongside that increased lumbar lordosis, that person with pelvic tilt. They have no real mobility in these sacroiliac joints, which you can see from the front here, because everything is so bound down. There's no ability for it to go any further. It can't shock absorb nicely because it's already at the very end of that um, sort of compressive, ready to load bear position. And that's when we start to get that arthritis. And you see that on the x-rays, whereby this joint surface along here becomes enlarged, it becomes inflamed, and you can see it as increased sclerosis and bone laydown on the front of these sacroiliac joints. But I would say that for the general, um, that the most frequent scenarios where people come in complaining of those sacroiliac problems, it tends to be a degree of instability that has led to this because the only thing that's holding your sacroiliac joint together is a series of ligaments and the fact that this is what's called an inverted keystone. Gravity compressing down through here is what holds this bone and this lock together as well as the natural in, uh, sort of integrity of the pelvic ring and as we stretch that it does unload these sacroiliacs a little bit. So just worth bearing in mind before we get to the final point of today's live stream which is Ultimately, it's poor structure, poor movement patterns and habits that maintain your sacroiliac strain. And this is kind of the last point of today's live stream. Anyone can get an injury. Anyone can injure their back. Anyone can injure their ankle, their knee, their sacroiliac joint. 
but chances are you're not watching this video if you've injured it and you've recovered. It's that it's been labored, it's not been recovering. And if we can get to grips with these poor structures, these poor movement patterns, and then the lack of stability and protection for that lumbar spine, we'll be able to provide ourselves with a clear pathway to recovering from this sacroiliac joint problem, which as I've mentioned in this video a couple of times now, is really a lower lumbar region problem. And how do you do that? That's where things like our back and shape program come in, properly understanding the anatomy of that lower back region, the way in which the glutes, the hamstrings, the hip flexors all play into providing more flexibility in this hip joint so that the lower back, for example, can effectively maintain its neutral position as we're moving through different ranges from the hip rather than from the lower lumbar spine by bending like so. It's about providing a nice lordosis by supporting the lumbar spine when we're doing that towel decompression stretch. It's about providing more contraction through the core effectively in a neutral position rather than some of the techniques that we've read about and seen online where we lie on our back and tuck our bum under to further you know, destabilize this sacroiliac joint. It's about learning to re-engage your core properly. And then in that back and shape program, you've got the phase two and phase three exercises, which are about providing sensible, effective ways of strengthening the lower back region, the back muscles, and then the leg muscles, and how they work in synergy with one another to effectively protect your lumbar spine and your sacroiliac joints so they can heal effectively and you can get back in shape. I think that's pretty much it. Nice way to close out. Yeah. If, if, if we've got uh, any questions on Q&A, yeah, we can move absolutely. to that. Do you want to uh, switch the mic over just so they can hear me because I'm a little behind the computer screen. There we go. Good evening, everybody. Okay, so a couple of questions. I've got Alex on uh, YouTube. Um, if you tear or strain the SIJ ligaments, does this leave the SIJ permanently vulnerable? Also, can you tell from an X-ray whether the SIJ has been compromised? Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting question, Alex. We were, I think we, we'll probably end up talking about this at more length um, in, in the future. Um, it, yes and no in, in answer to that. Number one, you said if you've torn the, the ligaments, can they recover? Well, of course they can. Every part of our body has the capacity to recover effectively. That being said, there will be things that are challenging it. So for example, um, I mentioned earlier about the flat lumbar lordosis. If we maintain a flat lumbar lordosis, we maintain a stretch through these ligaments and we repeatedly do certain activities, for example, a long bike ride where we're over in a flex position. We're constantly putting stretch through these ligaments here whilst they're trying to knit back together. Remember that process of a, if we oversimplify it, if we have a wound, if I draw it up on the whiteboard for you guys, if we have a wound, essentially that tear is where that's your, one of your sacroiliac joint ligaments. And what's happening is you've torn them, they failed to do their job, the ligament didn't get compressed, okay? That, that's not how they work, that's not how they fail. It's been stretched beyond its, 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 its normal limits in a way that it cannot deal with. And therefore, there is a need for those to move back towards one another in order to heal effectively. Now, in the case of ligaments, they have a very poor blood supply. This happens very, very, very slowly, much like in discs. Knowing that it happens very slowly, let's take the example of your surface wound. You've cut your hand around here, okay? We, or maybe not that part of your hand. Let's do the arm here instead, okay? If you, you, we all know that if we pick the scab regularly, the healing takes place over a longer period and the healing is less complete. Well, that's in the skin, which is probably the fastest turnover of cells and it's gonna heal the fastest out of any of our tissues. This is the slowest 
yet invariably we're doing activities on a daily basis that are leaning forwards. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, the long cycle, um, leaning forwards in that position, flattening the lumbar lordosis repetitively is, means that on a daily basis in tissues that are metabolically less active, you are doing the exact opposite and pulling this thing apart. So this is why with the back in shape, we really try and, and do these live streams and put out other videos that are aside from the rehab because if we can understand the way in which our body works on a daily basis, the way in which injuries heal, then we can avoid pulling this poor thing apart from one another on a daily basis by using our body in a way that is not conducive with it working effectively. So that was the first answer to the healing thing. It will heal, but we want to eliminate some of those bad things. The second question, second part of that question. Uh, just, just on that, I just quickly Googled how long does it take for an ankle, you know, the ligaments mm -hmm. in the ankle to heal? And that is minimum six weeks. Yeah, with, with the ankle. Really and you can take, the thing is with an ankle, you can take pressure off the ankle by using a crutch or by wearing a boot. You can't do that with the lumbar spine or the sacroiliacs. Yeah. You just can't. Second part of the question was, can you tell from an x-ray whether the SIJ has been compromised? So so you can to a degree. So when we do the x-rays, when we do the standing up x-rays, the front on x-rays, you can get an idea because what we always do with the x-rays is we, we get a patient standing upright, it heals it together, um, and then we, we shoot the x-ray. And you can see that if there's some of this going on, you're going to know that one side is going to be loaded a bit more. But more importantly from the side, I've mentioned numerous times on today's live stream that we've got this lordosis through here. Well, it should be a normal value. The curve, without getting into too much of the detail, should be 40. It's acceptable to be either side of that um, to a degree, but it shouldn't be too far awry. If we've got a reduction in the curve, that's going to create stretch. That's going to create instability, as I mentioned earlier. And if we've got an increase in the curve, then that's going to create other challenges. Now, we have to superimpose other anatomical challenges that the lumbar spine may have in, it, in its own isolated case. But the, the x-ray, therefore, will allow you to at least better understand, is that sacroiliac tending towards a compression injury or is it tending towards a stretch injury by its fundamental um, standing, resting anatomy? So we can make in, uh, inferences there. But the reality is, as I mentioned towards the back end of today's sort of topic, is that that sacroiliac is at the mercy of what's going on in the lumbar spine. If we've got any other lumbar spine issues that have resulted in instability there, and I'm a bit leading with that particular answer just because we've spoken before, um, you're, you're going to have a, 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 the propensity to develop instability in local areas. And if we've got an L5-S1 region or L4-5 region, these sacroiliacs are basically you know, door numbers on the same street, if that makes sense. So there's, there's, it's likely that they will be influenced too. Okay, brilliant. Um, Ollie has asked, is it better to strengthen around the SIJ instead of in, in, instead of increased mobility around it? Well, from, from a personal point of view, we find that the overwhelming majority of patients and, and people in the back in shape generally tend to flock to mobility-based exercises. If you go to the NHS website, you'll find that most of the exercises that you're doing there in the early stages are just mobility exercises. And people tend to gravitate away from strengthening-based exercises. And we did a live stream more recently on either the importance of fast twitch or something like balance, something like that. Yeah. And, it sh and it just showed that the overwhelming majority of people as they get older tend to move away from these sorts of resistance-based exercises, which, are, which, which invariably is it's a weakness and an instability that often gives rise to these conditions as we age because we tend to avoid those strengthening-based exercises. So I would say there's a very, very good chance that you need to do some strengthening over mobility work. Not that mobility isn't important because if your hips are more mobile, then your sacred acts generally will have to do less in the way of mobility. But at the same, but at the same time, you probably want to start off with a bit of strengthening 
as a general rule of thumb. But if you're in doubt, ask us. We can okay. help you guys. Brilliant. Um, Joe has asked if you get uh, clicking around the SIJ or somewhere in the lower back uh, during movement, is this anything to be concerned about? So quite often when people do exercises, for example, the dead bugs that we do, uh, when you lie on your back moving the legs, people will often get a bit of clicking or clunking in this region. Two things. Number one, it's quite often the hip and the tendons, etc., that are that are sort of flicking over one another in that region. And you'll find that if you adjust the position of your foot or leg as it's going out, if we plug this in so you guys see the camera, instead of going like that, if you kind of go out a slight bit or in a slight bit or move the leg in a little bit, you'll find that that clicking or clunking starts to abate. It's very difficult sometimes to pinpoint where exactly in the body it is because you just feel the vibration and you go, oh, it's in that region. It's very unlikely to be your lumbar spine. That being said, making sure we've got a solid engagement uh, with our with our uh, deep core muscles when we're doing those sorts of exercises should provide the stability to eliminate that clunking uh, that you're getting. Okay, brilliant. Um, and Karen has asked, um, what can you do if you are pregnant with SIJ problems? It's difficult, is the short answer. Uh, with pregnancy, you have two, two things occurring at the same time. You've got the laxity of the ligaments, which is expanding uh, the whole pelvic girdle, whilst at the same time, you have the uh, that sort of posture happening and leaning back. So those are two sort of anterior pelvic tilt with increase in instability. So your body's weight bearing more, there's more compression going through the spine and you adjust your spine position to try and compensate for that and provide more stability as more weight comes on. But at the same time, you've got your ligaments stretching. The best thing really to do is, is unfortunately, it's a bit late if you're already pregnant, but maybe for your for your next child, or if you've got a family member that's, that's thinking of, getting, of having kids, et cetera, or they're in the early stages of pregnancy, doing some physical exercise to provide more stability to the muscles before you're thinking about getting pregnant. If you're thinking you're going to have, not to do any sort of life coaching or pregnancy coaching here, but if you're thinking about having kids, especially as a lady, it's, it's one of the most challenging things your body's going to go through. Um, if you can prep your body, your muscular system to provide more strength and more protection as you're about to go through these, this incredible change over a nine month period, that will be to your benefit and you'll find you suffer less. I don't, I, th I think, you cannot underestimate the amount of strain that your body is going to go through when you go through that period in your life. And the better you can prepare yourself for that, the better you'll do and the better you'll bounce back afterwards. Okay, brilliant. Wonderful. Okay, I think that is it for today. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. And thanks, Alex. That was a really good question um, for us earlier. Hopefully, it was a... Uh, a helpful answer or an insightful answer i know that sort of stuff will, will 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 really help others as well so thanks very much for joining us on today's live stream if you watched us this far and maybe maybe caught up afterwards please do let us know in the comments underneath if you found this time of day a little bit preferable or if you prefer the morning ones we're trying to run these uh, knowing that people are going back into work now and maybe can't catch those 8 45 9 a.m slots so maybe having a slightly later in the day one that we do will help you we do these for the q a that's where we're, look we're looking to do this as a service to help people. Things with regards to the medical system at present are still a little bit iffy in terms of getting the help that you need from a uh, from a back pain point of view. So we do these Q&A sessions at the end of every single weekday live stream to help you guys. So if, we, if you can let us know in the comments what good times are for you guys, then we can try and engineer a couple of them around those sorts of times a day. So thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully you'll join us tomorrow for our next live stream. It's at 8.45. Which is going to be 8.45. Back 
braces and daily activities. Oh, a very interesting one. So talking yeah. about back braces, which will probably be rather controversial, I'm sure. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us, guys. Again, if you're new to the channel, please do consider subscribing, share this video with someone that might benefit from it. And with that being said, have a great afternoon or evening, and we will see you tomorrow with another live stream.